Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with the dreams of Pharaoh as we pick up in Genesis chapter 42, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Pharaoh in Egypt had had two dreams with similarities because they had one interpretation. The first dream involved the seven fat cows grazing by the river and seven lean cows rising up and eating up the fat cows and still being lean. And then a wheat with seven stalks or corn of wheat upon them and fat and full, followed by seven lean blasted wheat. And the lean and blasted wheat ate up the fat wheat. The dream bothered Pharaoh. He called for his wise men and his astrologers for an interpretation which they were not able to give. And at that time, the Lord jolted the memory of the butler who two years earlier had had a dream in the prison that was interpreted by Joseph. And he informed the Pharaoh that there was a young Hebrew boy in prison who was able to interpret dreams. And so Joseph was brought before the Pharaoh to interpret for him the meaning of the dreams. And Joseph said, your dream is actually one. For the Lord has shown to the Pharaoh what is going to happen. There are going to be seven good years, years in which you're going to have a surplus, years in which there will be bumper crops, but they will be followed by seven very lean years, so lean that the drought of the seven years will eat up all of the surplus of the good years. Now he said, let the Pharaoh find a wise man within his kingdom, that during the seven years of abundance he might gather together the surplus into barns and granaries in all of the cities of Egypt, store it up so that when the lean years come, you'll be able to survive. And the Pharaoh said, there is no wiser man than you in the kingdom because no one else was able to tell me what the dream means. So I make you second in command to me. Of all of those in Egypt, none will be greater than you except myself. And he clothed Joseph in royal robes. He gave him his own royal chariot. As he would go down the street in his chariot, the people would cry out, bow your knee. And the people thus did obeisance unto Joseph. And he was exalted there in Egypt. And during the seven good years, He stored up in the granaries huge amounts of surplus. Actually, it used to be that the people gave 10% of their crops to the king, but they ordered them during this time to give 20%. And so it was sort of a taxation of 20% during these good years. And Joseph laid up so much wheat that they just left off counting it. They just didn't measure it anymore. It was just such a great abundance during the seven years, but then the seven lean years began. 
Now the famine or the drought that came was not local, that is, it extended beyond Egypt. And it extended into the area of Canaan where Jacob was living. And as we come now into chapter 42, now when Jacob saw that there was corn in Egypt, Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at each other? Now, they, they heard, well, there's plenty of corn down in Egypt. And the boys started looking at each other, probably guilty conscience. Egypt, yeah, that's where we sold Joseph to, you know. What if we go down there and what if we should see him as a slave? You know, what would we do? What would be our reaction? We sold him as a slave. And, and what if in going to Egypt, we saw this guy laboring out in the field and, and uh, you know, being mastered over? And what would, what would be their reaction? And, and probably just a little bit of a, of a tinge as they thought of Egypt. They're looking at each other and thinking, oh, man, you know, what would happen if, you know, that kind of a thing. Jacob said, why are you looking at each other? He said, behold, I have heard that there is corn in Egypt. Now go down and buy from there that we may live and not die. And so Jacob is ordering his sons now to go on down to Egypt to buy the corn from Egypt. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy corn in Egypt. But Benjamin, Joseph's full brother, his brethren went down, but Joseph's full brother, Benjamin, Jacob did not send with the brethren, for he said, lest peradventure mischief befall him. Now Rachel, the one that Jacob was dearly in love with, had two sons. I don't know that we can really fault Jacob too much for his love for Rachel. Leah was, you know, just put on him in, in, a, in a dirty switch by her dad. He had labored for Rachel, and his great love was always for Rachel. It was really a, a, a dirty thing that Laban pulled on Joseph, switching the bride at night all veiled and all, so that he didn't even know who he was married to until the morning light. And he looked across the bed, and instead of seeing Rachel, it was her sister. And, and he could not help but sort of resent the dirty trick. His love originally and always was first for Rachel. So though Leah bore many sons, when Rachel finally bore him a son, the son of Rachel, the one he truly loved, became a favored son in Joseph's eyes. He was the son of his wife who he truly loved. She also had a second son, Benjamin, but while she was in childbirth with Benjamin, she died. And so she first called him Benoni, the child of my grief or sorrows. And uh, Jacob graciously changed his name to Benjamin. It would be a sad tag to put on a kid all his life, son of sorrow. And so his dad changed it, son of my right hand. But he also 
loved Benjamin because of the fact that it was Rachel's son. So when Joseph was sold by his brothers, Benjamin, no doubt, replaced Joseph in the affections of his father. And that place that Joseph once held was now held by Benjamin, a place of favoritism, a place of sheltering. He was uh, the youngest son, and as the youngest son had, of course, advantages of that which a, the youngest child so often has when all of the brothers and sisters are older, and then they come along, they're the baby of the family, and uh, you usually by that time have more maturity in your raising of kids, you're easier on them, you don't crack the whip so hard, and, and so uh, had that favored position now that was once held by Joseph. So that when his brothers went down to Egypt to buy grain, Benjamin was kept home. You don't know what problems might befall you on a journey like that, about 265 miles through wilderness area, and so Benjamin was kept home. Lest peradventure mischief should befall him. In case they got any trouble, at least he still has Benjamin there at home. Now the sons of Israel came to buy corn among those that came for the famine was in the land of Canaan. So many people were coming down from Canaan to buy corn in Egypt or to buy wheat, actually. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he it was that sold to all the people of the land. So Joseph was over the land, and it seems that when you would come from another country that you had to sort of clear through Joseph in order to buy your wheat. And so Joseph's brothers came, and they bowed down themselves before him with their faces to the earth. And Joseph saw his brothers, and he knew them. But he made himself strange unto them, and spake roughly unto them. And he said unto them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph knew his brothers, but they knew him not. Now no doubt when they bowed down before him, his mind flashed back to his dreams. His dreams that had made his brothers so mad. When he was at home, he said to his brothers, I had a dream last night. I dreamed that we were all out in the field and we were binding our sheaves, and my sheaf of wheat stood upright and yours all bowed down to mine. Oh, did they get mad. Bow down to you, you runt. No way, you know. And now here is Joseph, and he sees his brothers all bowing down. And probably a flashback on that dream that he had had. It was 21 years since his brothers had seen him. He was only 17 years old when they sold him to the caravan going to Egypt. And now it is 21 years later. He is 38 years old. He is matured. He is dressed as the Egyptians. And uh, they just didn't recognize him. Who would expect to see their brother 
you know, in this position in Egypt anyhow. And so he made himself strange to them, and though he recognized them, he had the advantage, he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed of them, and he said unto them, You are spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said unto him, Oh, no, my Lord, but to buy food. That's why we have come. We're all one man's sons. We are true men. Thy servants are really not spies. And he said unto them, Oh, no. To see the nakedness of the land is the reason why you've come. And they said, Thy servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is not. And Joseph said unto them, That's it. I said it unto you from the beginning. You are spies. <laughs> and so he just really giving them a rough time, you know, as they're there and he said, Hereby ye shall be proved. By the life of Pharaoh, you will not go from here except your youngest brother come on down. In other words, we'll send one of you back to get him, and you're going to have to bring him down before I let you go from here. And so we'll send one of you and let him fetch your brother, and you will be kept in prison that we might prove your words, whether there's any truth in what you have to say, or else by the life of Pharaoh, you are surely spies. And so he put them all in jail for three days. Now, they had not had much mercy on him. They had thrown him in the pit, and he had spent a lot of time in jail because of what they had done to him. And so he figured a few days in jail won't hurt them. You know, they caused me to experience several years in that jail. And so he just acted tough and rough to them and accused them of being spies, finally just threw them in jail. And Joseph, after three days, said unto them, I'll tell you what, this you can do and live, for I fear God. Now, it's interesting, as part of his disguise, he was swearing by Pharaoh. You know, I swear by Pharaoh, you're not going to see me and, and all. But now he, he calls them out and he says, look, I fear God. And if you are true men, let one of your brothers be bound in the house of your prison, and you go and carry corn for the families of your houses. But bring your youngest brother unto me, and thus your words will be verified, and ye shall not die. And so they did. And they said one to another, we are verily guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the anguish of his soul when he begged us and we wouldn't listen. Therefore is this distress come upon us. And Reuben answered them and said, Didn't I tell you don't sin against the child and you wouldn't listen to me? And therefore, behold, also his blood is required. You know, at the time of recriminations, I told you so. Why don't you listen to me, you know? Didn't I tell you? But it is interesting that 21 years later, 
they are still feeling the guilt of their misdeed. You cannot cover guilt. Your guilt will out. Sooner or later, your guilt is going to out. A guilty conscience is something that continues to nag. The U.S. Treasury Department has what they call the conscience fund. Every year they receive thousands of dollars, not checks, <laughs> because it's sent in anonymously. People who have cheated on their taxes and they feel guilty, and so they send in the amount to cover that which they cheated the government, and they just have what they call the conscience fund. They say that neurotic behavior patterns are often subconscious desires are created by subconscious desires for punishment. I know I have done wrong. I have this sense of guilt. I desire to be punished. I'm too big. My dad isn't around anymore to take me into the other room and to relieve me of my guilt complex. And so I start some weird little behavioral pattern, an antisocial kind of a behavior pattern, where people start saying, what's the matter with him? Man, he's crude. And, and I hear them saying these things, and I think, ah, oh, yes, I'm being punished now, you know. And, and it gives me a sense of relief from guilt. Guilt will out in neurotic behavior or somewhere or other. Guilt is going out. 21 years they carried the guilt of what they had done to Joseph. And now when they are really in trouble, what do they think about? When they're really in a tight place, what do they think about? We did wrong to our brother. We didn't listen to him when he was begging with us and asking us and pleading with us to you know, to not sell him and all. Oh, we did wrong. Now, Joseph can understand what they're saying. They don't know that he can, but he understands everything they're saying, and, and he's probably learning a lot about the whole conspiracy. As Reuben says, yeah, didn't I tell you not to hurt the kid, and, and you wouldn't listen to me and all? I told you don't lay your hand on him. And, and thus he realizes, hey, Reuben was standing up for me. And perhaps Reuben was looking at Simeon when he said it. Somehow or other, Joseph got the idea, and of course he was there when the thing happened too, and he could hear them talking above the pit when he was down inside. And, and no doubt Simeon was sort of the henchman in the whole thing. Now, Simeon was cruel. He was hot-tempered and cruel. Later on, as Jacob was giving the patriarchal kind of prophecies over his son, he said to Simeon, Cursed be thy cruelty. So Joseph chose Simeon to stay in jail while the brothers took the corn on back to their father. Now, Joseph, of course, was concerned with his father's welfare and the family welfare. He knew that the famine was going on 
and he didn't want them to run out of food. And so after the three days of letting them all sit in jail, he called them out and he said, I'll just keep one of you as hostage. The rest of you go on back and take the supplies back for your families and all, but don't bother to come again unless you bring your youngest brother. They didn't know, verse 23, that Joseph could understand them, for he spoken to them through an interpreter. And so he turned himself about from them and cried. Actually, he couldn't take it. He heard them talking, saying, oh, you should have listened to me. Oh, don't you remember the way he was begging and all, and, and talking about Joseph and realized that they were now really repenting for what they had done to him. I believe that this whole thing of Joseph's was a design to really test his brothers to find out where they really were after this length of time. Joseph knew that the purposes of God were to be accomplished through these boys. We'll return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 42 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's the wordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord keep His hand upon your life And may he open up your heart and your mind and your understanding to the things of the Spirit. And thus, may you live in that place where God can bless you as he desires to bless you. May you keep yourself in the love of God as you walk in fellowship with Him this week. In Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. I'd like to tell you about a book written by Chuck Smith entitled Living Water. In this book, Pastor Chuck explains how God has the power to change your life through His Holy Spirit. This book will help you to understand how the Holy Spirit works in your life, covering such topics as who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit do? What are the gifts of the Spirit? And how should I respond? 
It's Pastor Chuck's desire that by God's grace and through this book, the Lord will develop in you a hunger and thirst for the things after the Spirit that will help you come into a deep and personal relationship with Him so that your life will be transformed. To find out more and to read a book preview, visit thewordfortoday.org and click on the link to download Living Water by Chuck Smith. Or if you would like to order this book in print, call The Word for Today at 800-272-WORD. That's 800-272-9673.